All right, as we come together to just listen to God's Word today, we've been on this series looking at church, right? Looking at what it means to be church. And it heartens us that very, very often we, we hear feedback that this series has given us clarity, that this series has allowed us to deal with things that we have left undealt with for too long in, in all saints. And, and even though I think at times as a pastoral team we have hit hard, we have been really blunt about certain things, but we hope that each of us can feel the, the love and the care and the concern that we have to see this church become what God wants us to be. To not only understand what church is, but really to live according to the standard that God has set out and to respond to what God is doing in our midst. And we're going to look at this idea of, of the victory and the future of the church today. And I'm going to just give us a roadmap before I pray and we start. And first, we're going to look at John 8, 31 to 36, where we'll look at the victory that we have as a church, right? Where we'll see that God's love, that the victory that God has given, gives us freedom. We'll begin to understand that we have been set free. We'll begin to understand in what ways Christ's victory has set us free. And this is important and this is key to realizing who we are to be as church, because if we don't, recognize the freedom that God has given and longs to give, we will never be released to respond to what God is doing. We will always be stuck in a rut and stuck where we're not supposed to be. Then we'll look to the book of Acts. We'll look to the book of Acts to discover and understand the model of the early church, right? How having received freedom from God, they recognized that they were set free for a purpose, that in the freedom that God has given, they became the model church for us to follow. And putting those two things together, we'll then hear afresh the message that Pastor Darren has shared, and hopefully your cell leaders have shared to you guys as well, about this word that we have been given in this season for our church from Isaiah chapter 60. But as we listen to it from the lens of freedom, from the lens of the victory that Christ has given, hopefully that will challenge us to press in to this vision. So with that, let's open with a word of prayer. Let's dedicate this time to God as we trust in His Word. Lord, we open our hearts to You. We open our hearts to Your Word. We open our eyes and our hands to see what You are calling us to. Lord, in this moment, You have a special purpose for us here in All Saints. And we pray that with all that we are, we will be released and we will understand and we will grasp onto the freedom that you are giving, that we will not look back on the baggages of the past, we will not look back on the failures of the past, but we will press on towards what is ahead. Grant us strength, we give you our lives, open our hearts and stir us today, Lord. Speak, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And so the first thing we've got to look at is that Christ's freedom gives us victory. We know that song, right? It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. And as we think about that, very often in the world, we look for freedom. Many of the things that we concern ourselves with involves in a lot of ways freedom, but from an earthly perspective. Where we want to earn money to be free from a job. Right? We want to have the freedom to make our own decisions. As we go through life, as children, we long to be free from our parents. As working adults, we long to be free from responsibility, and so on and so forth. 
But underlying all that subtly is a belief that we think that this freedom can be earned. But let's realize that freedom is not found in the things of the world, right? It's not found in the pursuits of the carnal. Instead, it is found in Christ. And until and unless each and every one of us here have that freedom in Christ, we will always be hampered and we will never grasp what Christ has set us free for. And this freedom that Christ gives is not freedom without purpose. It isn't freedom that allows us to do whatever we like. Freedom without restraint only brings chaos, right? The world tells us that. Just look at the COVID pandemic, look at the COVID-19 situation. We see that when we don't follow rules, when we go for total freedom, all it brings is chaos. And in the same way, finding freedom in Christ is not a blank check to do whatever we like. It is not a hyper-grace sort of teaching that says because we are saved, we can do whatever we want. But instead, freedom in Christ comes from a conscious decision to limit our other choices and to choose to follow Christ. That's what gives true freedom. Let's turn to John chapter 8, verses 36. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And let's set some context for what's going on here. Right, Jesus was speaking to a crowd of Jews in the verses just before this, and there was a dispute over who Jesus was. But out of the crowd, the verse preceding this tells us that many of the Jews believed in him. And so Jesus addresses these Jews who had come to believe in the saving grace of God. And he says to them, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Where immediately the idea of discipleship came about. The idea of discipleship was instilled. And far too often, we tend to only celebrate conversion. We tend to celebrate people who come and say the sinner's prayer. But more than that, we can see from the example of Christ that right from the get-go was the idea of discipleship where Jesus told them, if you say you believe, act this way. Hold on to my teachings, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And this can extend to the way that we stand up for Christ. To hold fast to His teachings that we are unashamed in the way that we live and we preach the gospel, not not, may not necessarily be with words, but with our lives to stand up for Christ, our colleagues, our parents, our friends, to be willing to suffer persecution and take up the cross. And see, this doesn't happen by chance. The word there is if. It says, if you hold on to my teaching, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And if tells us that there is a condition, that while it's all good and dandy that we say we follow Christ, We don't become disciples 
until we abide in His Word. And that word abide is exactly how some translations render this verse, where it says, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And to abide is this idea of making a home in the word of God. It doesn't just mean pure academic pursuit and to say, I know the Bible at the back of my hand, I know theology very well, that's one thing. But it means that we let it sit in us, we let it grow in us, we let it live within us, we let it take seed, we let it take root, that we become a dwelling for the place of God. Well, when we move into a home, if you've ever moved home before, it doesn't become home immediately, it takes effort to make that place feel like home. And in the same way, it takes effort for us to abide in the Word of God. And this is the call to each and every single one of us. That a basic fundamental as a disciple is to abide in the Word of God. And this is why we want to say that our core value is to be founded on God's Word. That our life is founded on the Bible. Because when we learn to abide, when we learn to make a home in the truths of God, that is where true victory is found. When we cling on to the words of Christ, when we abide in His Word, is where we find freedom. And this is key and this is important because until we hear the Word of God and until we have the Word of God in our life, we allow the devil in. Where if we don't have a foothold, if we don't know God's Word and live God's Word, we allow the devil to plant lies, to plant deception, to plant doubt, to hinder us from running with the plans of God. We get stuck in a rut, and before too long, we miss out on what God is calling us to. See, the promise is emphatic, right? Who the Son sets free is free indeed, and that freedom comes as disciples who abide and live in God's Word. That as we learn to live out His Word, we move from slavery to freedom. And that is the great call that we have as a church, to be set free by God's truths. And as I was preparing, and specifically in this season, I thought there were two areas for us to reflect on. Each one of them, when we don't govern it right, when we let fear take over, it will give root to sin. And the first area is fear. And we must realize that the very presence of fear, other than the fear of the Lord, of course, is indication that our trust is misplaced. And that in itself is sin. That when we allow fear into our life, we are subtly saying that there is something bigger than God. Because if we truly knew the Lord, whom shall we fear? That's that classic story in 1 Samuel 17, right, with David and Goliath. And, and we know how the story goes. The Philistines send this giant Goliath to destroy the Israelite army, and no one dares to face the giant. But out of the crowd, a young, scrawny David, a shepherd boy who's not a warrior, he steps out. And he doesn't even decide to put on his battle armor. He goes just as he is, 
And he declares to the giant in verse 45, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And we know how this story ends, where David kills Goliath and the Israelites win. But here's something about this story. Here's a truth about God that we got to hold on to. In verses 38 to 40, this is what David says. David was together with Saul, and this is what the verse says, Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put on a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Saul tried to equip David with what was best, or what he thought was best. A coat of armor, a bronze helmet, a sword. But David decided that he would go just as he was. And see, David was a shepherd boy. So he brought with him exactly what he would have used to defend his sheep, a staff, the five stones, and his sling. And with God, he won the battle. And that should encourage us beyond measure. Because as we face the giants in life, as we think about the call that God has placed in our life, as we think about the call that God has placed on this church, and God is calling us to, many times we think that we are ill-equipped. We think that we need our battle armor. We think that we need our bronze helmet simply to make us ready. But those things, as David shows us, were not what we need. Those things do not fit. That as David shows us, symbolized, if you like, by David bringing with him what he knew, the experiences and whatever God has allowed him to go through, those things plus God were enough to take on whatever God was calling them to. That we need to change our mindset that we are ill-equipped for the battle ahead. We need to change our mindset that we are ill-equipped for what God is calling us to. We need to change the way that we think that God has this big lofty call for all saints, but we cannot do it. It is true, we cannot do it, but we can do it with God. That, that with God and what He is doing in our midst, He has allowed it to happen because the experiences and the years that we have are exactly what God wants to use, and we need only take that step of faith to trust in what the Lord is doing. That if God has chosen us for this battle, if God has called this, has called us for such a time as this, if God has called us here, what we have with Him is enough. God guarantees the victory. And so as we hear about what God is doing in our midst, as we receive these truths from God, let us not be bogged down by fear. Fear that we are ill-equipped, fear that we are not ready but we trust that God has called us here. Even as we look outside to the society around us, COVID cases are rising. I just saw nine community cases today. But we still are free from fear. We still can continue to trust that what God wants to be done will be done, and we need only respond to what He is doing. 
that the opposite of fear, where if fear is false experience appearing real, then faith is feeling afraid, I trust Him. It is human to feel afraid, but we choose to put our trust in God and let Him build and guide the path ahead. The second area is the past or past failure. And sometimes this can even involve sin. But here I want to read from Isaiah 48 verses 8 to 11 and they go like this. You have neither heard nor understood from of all your hearts have not been opened. Well do I know how treacherous you are. You were called a rebel from birth. For my own name's sake, I delay my wrath. For the sake of my praise, I hold it back from you so as not to destroy you completely. See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. As we think about it, yes, he's talking in general about the nation of Israel, but it describes our spiritual state as well. It lays our failures right before our eyes. We know if we ask ourselves that we have been this way. Our ears have not been open to correction. We have been treacherous in our hearts. We refuse to listen to the counsel of God and we refuse to change our sinful ways. But in these verses, there is something so obvious. That despite seeing us for all that we are, the love of God continues to show mercy. It tells us that He delayed His wrath. He held it back from us. And not only that, He still continues to choose to refine us. That such is the mercy of God that even in our iniquity, He chooses to hold back His wrath. He chooses not to destroy us completely. But having said that, He does it for a reason. He does it for His own sake. For my own sake, I do this. He has done it for His glory. He says, I will not yield my glory to another. He has done it for the sake of His praise. And this means that we cannot take the mercy that God has shown for granted. We cannot take the experiences that God has allowed to put us through for granted. Because in His all-consuming and tremendous love, God, having seen us for the wretched creatures that we are, still continues to love, still continues to refine. And this is where, regardless of what has happened in the past, regardless of what we have done in the past, we are secure that God has paid the price. But here's this, that we must understand that we are not at the center of this plan. God is the center of His plan. But if we choose to stay in our past, if we choose to bring our baggage with us to what God is bringing us to, we dishonor the freedom that God has bought and has placed upon our lives that God has chosen to save us for His glory. God has chosen us to be His vessels, to bring Him glory. Which means that our only choice and the only proper choice 
is to leave our past and our baggage behind. And of course, yes, we must repent of our sin. We must receive the necessary correction. But we no longer dwell on it. That when we have truly repented, we receive the freedom that Christ has bought for us. We cling onto His truths and we recognize that we have been set free for the glory of God. We press on towards the goal to win the prize of God's heavenly calling in Christ Jesus. This is what the freedom of God has bought for us. This is what it means to dwell in the truth of God. That when we dwell in the truth that Christ has died for our sins, when we have repented and we have received that, that is where we receive true freedom. We are set free from fear. We are set free from the bondage of sin. We are set free from our past. It is emphatic who the Son sets free is free indeed. And as we think about that, the question is, what does it mean to live a life for the sake of, the, of God? What does it mean to be a church that lives for God's glory? And this is where we make the jump to the early church in Acts. That as the people who received the freedom of God, what did they do with it? As the people who have received the freedom of God, how did they live as church? And as we think about this church, the early church, let us not approach this with the thought or the preconception, right? That this is only a model church for us to marvel and dream at, but instead, let us understand that this is there as a model for us to follow. That what is true for the early church can be true for us today if we make that choice to follow God like they did. We talked about victory. This is the future, the church that we can become. Of course, not the ultimate future, that one revelation. But this is what we, this is the church that we can be. And if there was one word to summarize this early church, it is the fact that they were open. And we'll see four characteristics of this openness. First, the early church had open hearts. They had hearts that were open to the counsel of God. Acts chapter 13, verses 2 to 3 say this, While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. They fasted, they prayed, they worshipped, they waited on the Lord's direction, and they put that direction into action. And what all, what allowed all of this to happen was an openness to the counsel of God. So then as a people who have been set free, church, how open are our hearts? We may sound like a broken record, but at a point in time, and maybe we are at this crossroads, all saints, we have to decide the church that we want to be. Who do we want to be as a church? Are we really where God wants us to be? Are our hearts open enough to the counsel of God? Are we running with the vision that God has given for this season? Because if we are, we should be seeking the Lord every day in our life to open our hearts to see that this is indeed the vision that God is calling us to. 
And there should seriously be more than 25 people at our prayer meetings. Because this is what it means to be a church with open hearts. That we wait, seek, receive, and implement what God has given. The early church also had open mouths. And I'm not talking about food. They communicated the gospel in every way, shape, and form. Christian author Chris Green recorded about 30 different ways that the gospel was communicated. It was communicated formally, it was communicated informally, in small groups or individually. It was preached, it was testified to, they persuaded, and the list couldn't go on. But what comes out in each of these is an unashamed, unadulterated preaching of the gospel that cut into the culture that they were speaking to. They were challenging people to respond, almost daring them not to. And they cut into the secular culture to expose the ignorance of it all. But most importantly, they preached the story of Christ. The question for us as a people, are we a people with open mouths? You know, recently, um, myself, Crux, and I, we had dinner with Carl. And the waiter remarked, asking us, was there anything we couldn't eat? In Chinese, right? The waiter said, And Carl responded in typical Carl fashion, We If you don't understand Chinese, that was, We came from the church, everything we can eat, do you want to come to church? I'm not saying that we all need to be Carl, okay? But, but, that is the attitude that we need to have, to be that willing, that on our toes, to see every opportunity that God is giving in our life, to open our mouth and speak about God when we can. The early church was also a church with open doors. See, the city of Antioch at that point in time was a city divided, right? Separated literally by walled-up factions that depended on their race. But in the midst of this city, this is what Acts 11 records. Now, those that had been, who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed tra- traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only amongst the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Think about how revolutionary that is. In a city where they were literally walled up according to their races, they went in and they broke those barriers and they spoke freedom and truth of the Lord into their lives. And it was in this city that the word was spread to the Greeks. And the Greeks or the Gentiles, if you like, they responded and they believed. And this melting pot, this amalgamation of people, Luke in Acts refers to as church. And if we think about it, church before then was only a term ever used to describe the chosen people of God. But Luke in very pointedly calling these people the church was telling us that the gospel was meant for everyone. The attitude of our church needs to be a church with open doors. So the question is, are we a church with open doors? And it doesn't just mean that we welcome visitors into this place, right? It is an attitude that we have to reflect. 
Do we reach out to them? Do we speak to them? Do we welcome them? Do we at least say hi? Right? Do we have cells with open-door cultures where we welcome and embrace newcomers with open arms? Do we recognize that being an open doors, being in a church with open doors, there will be a need to multiply cell groups and that is something that we celebrate because it means that God is bringing more and more people into our midst. Because that's what it means to be a church with open doors. And fourth, they were a church with open hands. Open hands to be used by the Spirit as the Spirit pleased. And we know through the book of Acts, right, it was recorded that the Holy Spirit came upon the church and there were many signs and many wonders to prove that the gospel was present. And I'll leave Pastor Darren and the Holy Spirit series that we're going to dive into across the next few weeks up until the conference in June for us to explore what it looks like. But in all, the early church who were set free by clinging to the truths of God had a freedom in Christ that empowered them to be a church with open hearts, open hands, sorry, open mouths, open doors, and open hands. And in the discipleship manual that we gave out last week, if you didn't receive it last week, you would have received it today, we set this same vision out into what God wants here in all saints. To be a church who are fixed on Christ, founded on God's Word, fueled by prayer, and focused on discipleship. And then we are to live it out in worship, word, welcome, and eventually to reach the world. We can see this early church model amalgamated into these eight items. And so to challenge us, to set us on the path to what God is, wants to do and God is doing in our midst, allow me now to reiterate the message of Isaiah chapter 60 that we should have heard from our cell leaders. And if the cell leaders haven't shared it after this, go and ask them, why you never tell me? But as we listen to it this time, let us not be restrained and held back by what has happened before. Let us not think back to the times when we have heard many similar visions like this and have, this, and have for some reason, trying to figure out why they didn't take place. But instead, let's leave our baggage behind in the truth that this is a truth that God is calling us for this season and press into it to partner with God and what He is doing in our midst. Where if God is saying, go build an ark, let's go build an ark. Instead of asking God, like, the ark, beware. <laughs> and so Isaiah chapter 60, yes, of course, in context, it was being referred to Israel. It's a promise that will only be fully realized when Israel becomes what it is supposed to be. But this is what we can refer to as a Rima word a word that God has given specifically for all saints in this season that follows the contextual parallels, the contextual principles of what was promised to Israel. And in this case, it is a word in season for us that in this season, from this promise, we are, as a matter of speaking, what Isaiah 60 is referring to. And it opens in verse 1 with this, Arise and shine, for your light has come. 
it tells us that the Lord will arise upon us, that in this season, the negativity, the failure, the gloom, and all these things of the past, we can leave those behind because the Lord has arisen and we now have renewed hope. It tells us to lift up our eyes all around and see they are gathered together, that people who have drifted, people who have left the church for whatever reason, people are choosing once again to make all saints their family. The Lord is moving something in their hearts to return them yet again to our family. And it continues in verse 5, The abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nation shall come to you. The Lord has blessed us. That as a people who have been faithful in our tithing, even across the pandemic, you guys saw the AGM report. Our tithing did not go down. In fact, the number of people who have been tithing went up. And as we have placed our trust in God, as we have sowed into the work that He wants to do here in All Saints, God has blessed us. And that is, for example, a reason why we can do the Baoshan Low renovation to get ready for what God is, for the growth that God is going to do in our midst. It continues, Your gates shall be open continually where God is bringing more and more people into our midst. In the past three to four years, if we have not realized, we have grown by 60, 70 people. That is the truth and that is the scale of what God is doing right here in All Saints. Right, where just this week, we had yet another email from outside. Another person just messaged me and said, Hey, I'm looking for a church. I'm looking for a cell group. I stay in Tanamera. God is doing something in our midst and we need to respond. We need to see this truth that our gates will continue to be open. But that is exactly why as a people, we need to press into it. And we can't just, oh yeah, there are newcomers here. But reach out, respond, press in to what God is doing. Right, this week we welcome Pastor Carol, we welcome Joel, her husband, as the youths continue to grow. And we celebrate six new babies in our midst this year as well. And God is then saying, instead of, instead of bronze, I will bring gold, instead of iron, I will bring silver. And it goes on with a few other examples, and this is what the Lord is saying where He is replacing the old with something new. He is giving us something better. He is promising peace and righteousness in our land. And hearing this Rima word, hearing this message, church, let us no longer be restrained by the past. This is not a time to be apprehensive and think about why haven't we grown in past years, but let us be a faithful people who press into what God is calling us to. That as a people who are free, let us press forward without fear of what is ahead to invest and to commit ourselves in what the Lord is doing. Because this is the victory that we have in Christ. 
And as we cling to this truth, we will step forward into the future of what Christ wants us to become as a church. And for new wine to be poured, we need to stand in new wineskin to forsake the past and press on into what is ahead. I'm just going to give us two minutes as the music plays to just think about that, to just reflect on that. Maybe there's a question that you have. Is this really God? Bring that before God. Ask Him. Is this the word that you have for us in this time? Maybe there are old mindsets that we need to change to step into new wineskin of what the Lord is doing. Think about that and put that before the Lord. while I'm going to join Ken and I'm going to sing the response song with the band and we are going to sing the king is among us and church as a whole let us cry for the revival that God is doing in this place let us cry that all the fathers saw in the days of old Lord would you do it again and I don't really want to rush this. But as the music plays, and as you feel led, as you feel ready to respond, when you've put before God your doubts, when you've begun the, that journey of searching, is this what God is calling us in our midst? When your hearts are ready to respond, then stand to your feet. Lord, we welcome you here. Oh, yes, we do. Have your way, Lord, in this place. When you're ready, when you're saying, God, here I am. I want to be part of what you're doing here in all saints then stand to your feet just stand to your feet sing this chorus that we didn't prepare hopefully maybe we can catch on 
But as I continue to sing this over us, let's surrender. You are here in our midst. How we've waited for moments like this. Have your way in this place. Holy Spirit, come do as you wish. We are changed as you move in our midst. All together, you are here. You are here in our midst. How we've waited. For moments like this, have your way in this place. Holy Spirit, come do as you wish. We are changed as you move in our stand as we respond and we'll sing the king is among us and let's sing this as our declaration <laughs>